The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're with us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And we'll jump back into our Believe study. Awesome that uh, you guys were baptized today. Big, fa- big day for your family. That's really cool. And uh, proud of you for taking that step of faith. Uh, sometimes life uh, can be really difficult and frustrating. And a lot of that difficulty and frustration comes out of um, relationships, right? Relationships can be pretty complicated. Um, and we find, I think, the digger we deep it, the digger, the, <laughs> the deeper we dig into relationships, we find that we are the ones that complicate um, the relationship. And uh, when it comes to our relationship with God, it is really simple. Like it's a deep thing that happens, but it is very, very simple. And the reality is that we often complicate it. And that's what causes a lot of people to get tripped up. And that's what today's message is about, is the, um, how uh, simple the gospel is and how simple the relationship that we have with God is. And Paul is dealing with the nation of Israel, but it applies to everyone. So he's been in chapter 9, 10, and 11, he sort of shifted and he has this little section of this letter that he's written to the Roman church where he's specifically addressing how the nation of Israel missed Jesus as the Messiah and rejected him. And, and, and so he talks about this idea of salvation and he lays out the simple gospel and how a person is saved or lost. Now, before we jump into the scripture, I think with it being a baptism Sunday and we have a few people that were baptized is specifically to say that was not salvation. That is not salvation. That is a part of your confession um, that you have been saved. Salvation is an individual experience where the Lord does a work in the life of a person and they receive Christ and they walk through forgiveness. So I want to talk about uh, that and, and look at what does the Apostle Paul say about being saved or being lost? Um, and how does that work? What is it? How does it play out? And so he very clearly starts... In verse 1, and he says to us, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So here's your first takeaway. You can be sincerely wrong. All right? One of the things that's often asked uh, uh, me, when people are talking, I'm talking to someone, and not uncommon to get into this conversation around a family gathering, whether it be, um, you know, summer vacation, family reunion, or Thanksgiving, or Christmas, you know, because I'm the pastor, right? And so I end up in these talks, and a lot of times a person will say something like, yeah, but well, what about all of the other religions of the world? I mean, these people are sincere. They are devout in what they believe. 
Can they really be wrong with all of that zeal they have in their belief? And the answer is yes. Yes, they can be wrong. As a matter of fact, here Paul is saying the nation of Israel, who was the chosen people of God, who were given the law of God, the prophets of God, the Messiah to the entire world would come through their um, uh, genea- through their history, through the Jewish people. He's saying they're wrong in what they believe about the same God that you and I believe in. And so even when it comes to the same God, you can believe even in the same God, but you can approach it in the wrong way and be completely wrong. So it doesn't matter how sincere you are. Sincerity is great, and a person needs to be sincere um, in what they believe. But you can be sincerely wrong. I mean, you could be sincerely uh, believe the idea that two plus two is four, uh, five, and you could just be so sincere in that. But you'd just be sincerely wrong. It doesn't matter how long you believe it. It doesn't matter how passionate you are that you believe two plus two. And it doesn't matter that your teachers taught you all your life that two plus two is five. You're wrong. And that's what this passage is saying. Now, what's fascinating to me about it is it's not saying it about another religion. It's saying it about people who are worshiping the same God who claims to be God in the flesh, Jesus. He's the, the God that gave them the law, the God that led them through the uh, prophet Moses out of captivity in Egypt. He, he's speaking to them and he's saying they're wrong. And he's saying they're wrong because of their knowledge. What they believed was not true. And that is a precise description of people today, and it may be a precise description of you. It may be that you come in even and you choose to worship here and you like the way that I teach, but you believe something different than what I teach. And you've just said, well, it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe this way. I'm going to have my family here. I want them to be um, you know, in a good Christian community. But I don't really agree with everything that Jimmy teaches. And I have my own belief system. And I'm okay with that. And I would say, you're sincerely wrong if you're basing it on something outside of what I teach from the Bible. Because here's, here, this is so valuable. So that, that is not a statement about me. If you will notice, I am very intentional that I teach you from the word of God. Every week you come in, I open the Bible and I say, this is what this chapter teaches. And so I'm not giving you my opinion about something. I'm not telling you how I want things to be. I'm telling you how I read them and how they're being interpreted. I'm teaching you from the very word of God that is some of it 2,000 years old, some of it even older than that. And we're taking from that document and we're learning from it, which it says of itself that it is the very word of God that men just didn't write it. They wrote it as they were carried along by the spirit of God himself. And, and so I'm teaching you from something that is outside of myself. And, and I'm trying to let you know as a ministry, that's so vitally important for us to be committed to, is that we don't teach you what we think. We don't teach you what culture says. We teach you this is the word of God. And that's so vitally important because we want to be right on our interpretation of what God has said to us or else we can screw up our knowledge. And the Jewish people who had the law of God 
did that very thing. So what was wrong with their knowledge? It says here, verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. That's the second takeaway. You either seek the righteousness of God or you end up establishing self-righteousness. If you don't seek the righteousness of God, you will become self-righteous on your own. And those are the only options according to Christ. If you remember in some of the gospel accounts, um, the Pharisees were always after Jesus, right? And Jesus calls the guy by, uh, by the name of Matthew to be one of his apostles, Sets him aside. Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors were despised in this tradition uh, or in this culture because especially if you were a Jew and you went to work for the Romans and collecting taxes, the way that you made your money is the Romans might say, well, you need to collect 10% tax from um, the people who live there. And so all of your community, you would be the one who would go around with a ledger and be responsible for an accounting that they paid on all the money they had. They paid not only the 10% that Rome required, but Rome would let you collect whatever you wanted on top of that as long as they got their cut. And so some guys would inflate that and they were very wealthy people and they were ostracized from the Jewish community and they, they looked down upon them, they despised them. And, and, and the, the Jewish people you see had seen themselves as, as, as people who had received the law of God. And they looked down on other people, and they had a form of self-righteousness. And so they come to Jesus after Jesus had called Matthew. Matthew has a party, and he invites all his friends. Well, all of his friends were outcasts from the society because he was a tax collector. And so the Pharisees would say to Jesus, why do you eat with sinners and tax collectors? Why are you doing that, Jesus? So they recognized Jesus is engaged in, in doing life with sinners. And they saw themselves as righteous. And Jesus responds to them in this story um, out of Matthew chapter 9. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. In other words, it's, the people, it's not the people who think that they're right with God who are going to become right with God. It's the people who understand they're not right with God. Okay, so they had developed a form of righteousness and Jewish people, they thought they were better than every other people because God had chose them. And they had started to walk out the law. They not only tried to keep the law that God gave them, they added to it so that they could be doubly sure that they were doing all that they could to keep the law that God had gave them. And so therefore, they were better than any other culture that existed. That's why they hated the um, uh, uh, other uh, uh, the Assyrians that were around them. All throughout um, their, their history, you could see they are looking down on other people. And they had developed a form of self-righteousness. And instead of allowing the law to show them that they were unrighteous, they thought they were righteous. And because of that, they missed the righteousness of God. Now, what do we learn from that? Until a person acknowledges his unrighteousness, he sees no need for a savior. So if you are sincerely embracing the wrong kind of knowledge, you can think to yourself, well, I'm okay in what I believe and I rest in that and, and I'm, I'm, I'm all right there. And you might think of yourself as, as well, I'm, 
I'm just kind of being more open-minded. When in reality, you are filled with pride and you were telling God how things will go and instead of asking, accepting how God has laid out the way that things are. And so when we look at that and we begin to understand, man, it's very easy for a person to become self-righteous as they are ignoring the righteousness of God. Because when we come to the righteousness of God, we immediately go, well, I'm so far removed from that. There's nothing I could do to have that. There, there's, there's no way that I could get there. Then we understand that we are sick with sin and we need a doctor. And that's what Jesus is describing to them. And so, so what do we do if we recognize, if, if, if there's, there's the only thing that we can do is either seek the righteousness of God or establish self-righteousness? Well, he goes on and he says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. It says, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Here's the third takeaway. Righteousness is at your door. That's what Jesus is teaching here. There's no need, he says, like he said, people who received the law of Moses, Moses and tried to live by the law of Moses, like it was impossible for them, but that, that's what they're bound by. But people who receive the righteousness of God, it's, it's totally different. And he says, there's no need for some kind of mystical journey into the heavens. Christ already left the heavens and came to the planet. He says, there's no need to, he, he not only came, he was dead and buried. There's no need to seek out those who were dead because Christ died, he conquered death and he rose from the dead and he's back in the heavens. And so Christ is working all around us. And I'm reminded of the passage of scripture. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He says, if any man will open up to me, I will come in to him and I will sup with him. And so Israel had the message, but they missed it. And we have the message. We have the message. It's all around us. And there are good churches all over the United States of America, and for that matter, all over the world. There are good churches all over our city. There are some that I would not recommend that you go anywhere near because they, that's another sermon. <laughs> but, but here the, the message he's, is, is right at our door, and it's how we respond to the knock at the door. And so we sort of treat Jesus in American culture, like a salesman, a solicitor. And sometimes when the solicitor shows up at your house, shh, play like we're not home. You go away. If he knocks there long enough and we don't answer, he'll leave. And sometimes we want to open the door and tell him, don't you see the sign that says no soliciting? My house, like, why are you here? It clearly says, and you give the guy the what for. Send him down the road. I won't ask who's done that, but I know some of you have. 
Sometimes we might want to listen to what the salesman is selling just to listen to his pitch and be nice to him and then tell him, no, I don't think I want any. And some of us may even buy what he's selling even though we don't want it. Just to get him down the road. When it comes to Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, he's not selling you anything. When he knocks on the door and you open the door, he says, I'm coming in. The recliner's mine. The remote is mine. The refrigerator is mine. Your schedule is mine. Your money is mine. Everything is mine. I am Lord. I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm asking you if you want my righteousness. If you want it, it will cost you your life. I become Lord. That's the deal. It's not you get baptized. You get baptized to confess that Jesus has become Lord in your life. It is a confession of your faith. He says very clearly, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your mouth that you believe and are justified, and it is with your uh, mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." Not everyone who's baptized, not everyone who goes to the Catholic church or the Baptist church or is a member of this church or is confirmed. No. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is not what you do. It is not what you give. It is not how you serve. It is have you called on the name of the Lord that he is Lord of your life. That's why Grant asks, the candidates, what's your confession? Do you believe? We believe and we confess. And these two things are tied together. They go hand in hand. That's how we call on the name of the Lord. We believe and confess our faith in Christ and we are saved. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's a miracle that we don't celebrate enough and talk about. As a matter of fact, the devil has so deceived us that we are afraid to talk about our good confession, but we will talk about everything else. You have a baby, you will tell everybody, you'll have an announcement, you'll give a baby shower, then people will bring you gifts, and we start to have birthday parties for that baby. We buy cigars and say, hey, it's a boy, it's a boy. But with the good confession of your soul going from eternally lost and damned to hell to alive in Christ, you better not talk about that. You might lose a friend. What? It's the greatest thing that has ever happened to us. And, the, and we're so deceived into thinking that we cannot talk about the greatest miracle that has touched us. It's more incredible than having a child. It's a soul being restored into a right relationship with the Lord. It's a glorious event. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That's what it means to get saved. How does this happen? How in the world does it happen? Well, Paul tells us. How then, he says, can the... They call on the one they have not believed in. And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's a, there's the process. It's so clear and so simple. It's a process of salvation. God sends a preacher. Now, when I say sins of preachers, I don't mean like me, like me to preach like I'm preaching a sermon. 
though it could mean that. There's definitely a preacher preaching right now, but this idea of preaching is a proclaimer. A proclaimer of what? The good news of the gospel, how it has touched your life, how you're making confession and what you now believe that Jesus is Lord of your life. Think of all the things you've confessed in the last month about your life, about your kids, about their accomplishments, about even your pets, what they did. But what is your confession of Jesus? How many times have we told that story? You see, and, and I teach this not to chide you, not to, not to, not to uh, make you feel guilty. That's not what I'm doing. Like what I'm do- trying to get us to see is like, wait a minute here. Why am I not confessing? What is keeping me from talking about this wonderful thing that has taken place in my life? Because once it starts to happen and you start to share it, you you start to realize, man, this is a miracle. And the good news of the gospel begins to travel through your lips and how beautiful your feet become as you become one who carries the gospel. But we see the process is simple. God sends somebody into your life. And they proclaim the good news, even as I am doing this morning. You hear the word. And you're like, and when I say the word, I mean capital W, the word of God, not the word of man, the word of God. And you're like, I believe that. I believe that. And I confess that I believe that Jesus is God and that he died and that I am a sinner. And I make confession with my mouth and I am saved. Not I give something on the way out. Not I serve as a greeter in the do- at the door. Not that I say a certain prayer. I believe that Jesus is Lord and I confess with my mouth and I am saved. That's good news, man. That is good news. It is not what I do, it's who I am because of what he's done. If you do not call on Jesus as Lord, you cannot be saved. And you cannot call on Jesus as Lord without the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said nobody can come to the Father unless the Father draws him unto himself. And so as the Lord starts to draw, he invites me in this I, this 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 idea or this concept of faith to believe, to believe that he is inviting me. And in faith, I trust in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, and he becomes Lord. And I am, as Jesus said, born again. Uh, it's fascinating to stop and think about. And what's, what we look at that, and, and, and the problem is, is we complicate it. No, wait a minute. Tell me what I need to do. You need to believe what I just taught. That's it. Well, does that mean that it doesn't matter what I do? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Because if you believe what I taught, then your life will begin to take a different shape because you will be thinking about what you believe. And it will alter how you live. And instead of you trying to do your way into the kingdom, the kingdom will do its way through you because you believe. And so you're focusing on what you believe. You're focusing on who you are, not what you do. And when you focus on who you are, you will be what you're supposed to be. The dangerous thing is that 
He goes on to say, but not all Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did, Paul says. um, Of course they did. Their, Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I will, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. What's that mean? Is that like when Israel rejected Jesus as the Messiah, the Messiah, like the gospel was opened up to the other nations. It's fascinating to stop and think about is that they were the chosen people to reveal to the rest of the world who God was and what he did. They missed it and turned it into, you have to perform for God like a circus monkey in order to be able to be right with him. God says, no, you have to believe in me and I will make you into all that you uh, are supposed to be. They added to the law and made it something that it was not, began to tie that heavy load onto other people, and they couldn't even carry it themselves. And so they missed the righteousness of God because they were trying to create their own righteousness. And because of that, God opened up the good news of the gospel and his kingdom to other nations that did not even seek him. They did not ask for it. And all of a sudden, they find it, and that is the Gentile world. That as you and I, unless you are a Jewish person here this morning. And, it, and, and so it, it came first to the Jews, and we know that there are many Jews who uh, were followers of Christ because the, the first Christians were. It didn't open up to the Gentiles for some time later. And Paul is raised up as an apostle, as one untimely born, that he might become an apostle to the Gentiles. And so he's saying, man, I will, I will open it up to them. And so now it is opened up and the gospel is spreading all over the world. There's coming a day when God will say, time is no more and he will return to the planet. And prior to the second coming of Christ, when he returns in his physical resurrected body, there will be a revival among the Jewish people. There has always been a remnant, but there is a revival coming when the people will once again return back to Christ as the Messiah. And it's an exciting thing to think about. And it's why there's still a nation, even after not having a a land, in 1948, I believe it was, they returned to their homeland just not very long ago. In many of your lifetimes, not mine, (laughs) not very far away, Um, but uh, so we look at that and we go, man, like the gospel goes out, it goes out to all the people. But he says, but concerning Israel, verse 21 says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Here's the big idea. Don't be obstinate. Believe. Believe. The word disobedient in the Greek is apatheo. It means to not allow oneself to be persuaded. Refuse or withhold belief. The word obstinate comes from the Greek word antilego, and it means to oppose oneself to one to contradict. 
All day long, God held his hand out to the nation of Israel. And they opposed themselves to him. They refused to believe Jesus. Why would they do that? My question for you is, why would you do that? Are you here today and you're sincerely believing something that is wrong about the gospel? And you're refusing all day long to embrace the hand of Christ. You're complicating things. That's the gospel. So why would you be so passionate? Why are you so passionate about that? (laughs) It's not for money. It's not for show. The gospel has touched my life, man. It's the greatest thing that's happened to me. And I was sent as a preacher of the good news for you to hear that word today. I may never see some of you ever again. I hope that I do. I hope that I see all of you. But it may just be one time that you were here and I was sent to live here at this time and be in this place that we would come together and you would hear the good news of the gospel. And I just want you to know, man, it is good news. And I'm not preaching to you so that I get to go to heaven. I'm preaching to you because I'm going to heaven. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm trying to get you to see, man, that it is just a wonderful thing to understand. He said, well, what do you get to, what do you do to get there? I believe and confess that Jesus is Lord and I'm saved. <laughs> I said, well, I want to I do more. Then you want to be self-righteous because you can't do anymore except believe and call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It's not what you do, it's who you are. And when you understand who you are, young people, it took me a while to figure out who I was in Christ. But when I got it, I was like, what am I, why am I living like Jesus is dead? And it changed my life. And so that's why I'm passionate. Because I get really frustrated by a lot of people who say that they know Jesus is Lord, but they live like he's dead. You can't tell their lives any different from anybody else's. They don't look any different than the Muslims. Sometimes they look a whole lot worse. No transformation in their lives. And I want to be a part of a church that is just like known for people getting saved. People come to life there, man. They, they go from lost to found, from darkness to light. They're transformed, and they don't, they don't live the same way anymore. They don't look the same way, and they're not legalists. They're just filled with the Lord, and they seem like they're happy people. And that's what I think the Lord is trying to do at 14800 Metcalf Avenue. Do you believe? Well, you confess the good news of the gospel and let your feet carry it to a lost and broken world. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ, 
You've never made your confession of faith. You believed in your heart. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Maybe today is your day of confession. And you would say, that's me. I, I, want to, I want to confess that right now, right here where I'm sitting. I want to make my confession to the Lord. I'm going to lead us here in a prayer here in a moment. Before I do, I'm going to ask you, like, if you've never made a profession of faith and today is the day, would you raise your hand up? Anybody at all? Anybody before I, I pray? Anybody at all? Just say, that's me. I'm going to make a confession this morning. Never had. Good. That's good. Anybody else? I want to make my confession. I want to profess that I believe that Jesus is Lord. And I want to confess in my mouth. Anybody else before I pray? Okay, listen. Okay, good. Good. You can put your hand back down. All right, for those of you who raised your hands, I'm going to pray. You pray while I'm praying. And there's no formula. You just heard the gospel. Confess that he is Lord. Believe in your heart. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. Let him in, and you'll be saved, okay? And he will teach you how to follow him. But as I pray, you pray, and make your confession to Christ. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you that the gospel is simple. It is deep. It is profound, Lord, but it is so simple. Forgive us when we complicate it and try to make it into something that it is not. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, may our feet be shod with the gospel. May we take up the shield of faith that we may extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And may we boldly enter into battle as we wrestle with darkness in high places. And may we see lives changed as we encounter people who put on the helmet of salvation. <laughs> Lord, we can't make that happen. All we can do is tell people what has happened to us. And we want to be a part of that. And we know that I, that's what our culture needs, Lord. That's what our community needs. It needs more of you, more transformation. Less humanism. And more of the divine creator of the universe. Lord, there's nothing in us that deserves to be a part of a move like that. Except our faith in you and saying that we are to go and bear fruit and make disciples of all nations. And so we ask, Lord, that you would use us as a ministry, that you would do something special, that, Lord, as we champion your word, you would draw in the good soil around us, and it would produce some 30, some 60, some 100, and a revival would happen in this city, Lord, where homes would be restored and marriages would thrive and hope would come. Only you can do it, Lord. Thank you for these who have made their confession today. Give them the courage, Lord, to open their mouth and share the good news with others. Help them to see how beautiful their feet become as they share the miraculous story that's touched their life. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for this day and these people 
and what you're doing here. And I pray these things in Christ's name and amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.